Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, lightning and our biggest fears. Lightning is a electrical discharge. It forms a hot channel, which we call a leader. It's about as wide as your finger. There are giant electrical discharges above the thunderstorm. So sometimes lightning can, instead of going down to the ground, can shoot up to space. Those are called gigantic jets. And actually, lightning doesn't really see the ground until it starts getting pretty close. And so a lot of people pick the worst thing they could do. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest studies lightning what it is, what causes it, and why it is so much more than what it seems. This is lightning researcher, Professor Joseph Dwyer. I want to mention real quick, we do get pretty technical at times, but he does a great job explaining it. So just stick with it because it is absolutely fascinating what lightning is and what it can do. So I, I, I know what lightning is, but at the same time, I don't know what lightning is. So I guess, what is it really? Well, that's a little bit hard to define. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, we know it when we see it. Um, you know, the way a scientist would define lightning is it, it, is, it is a large scale electrical discharge measured in kilometers, or if you prefer miles. But what's like, what's happening up there? Like I sort of stepping back big picture most lightning starts inside thunderstorms um we don't know exactly how that happens it's actually one of the biggest mysteries in the atmospheric sciences how does lightning get started inside a thunderstorm we have millions of lightning flashes a day around the planet and yet we really don't know how it gets going inside a thunderstorm uh so somehow a thunderstorm charges up we're not exactly clear exactly how that happens we have some basic ideas uh, then somehow uh, electric fields charges get really big and uh, opposite charges attract and the thunderstorm wants to get those opposite charges back together again and it does it by making lightning. And it's not exactly clear how the spark gets going, but somehow it manages it. Why don't, I guess, well, how come we haven't figured that part out yet? Well, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, so I know thunderstorms are just right over our heads sometimes. It's just like it's right up there. Why can't we figure this out? But it's, you know, you, you can't really see what's going on because there's a cloud in the way. And, okay, you know, let's go put something up. Let's fly an airplane in there. Well, first of all, it's a dangerous thing to do. You just don't go fly an airplane inside a thunderstorm. You may not end up with an airplane afterwards. Um but, okay, maybe we can launch rockets or send balloons, and people do that. But the problem is, whatever's starting lightning is probably maybe little pieces of ice, maybe that big, or, you know, little things inside are starting lightning. And if you send this big conductor, you know, many feet across, like, you know, a balloon payload or a rocket, it's going to initiate lightning all on its own before lightning would get going by itself. And so you're disturbing the system every time you try to measure it. That makes sense to me, right? Like the simple act of studying it then immediately kind of creates a circumstances where you can't study it anymore. Exactly. So 
if on a scale of one to 10, right? Like I'm kind of a numbers person. If one, we don't even know what this bolt in the sky thing is, right? We think it's Zeus throwing thunderbolts. And 10 is we got this figured out. Where on a scale scale of knowledge do you think we would be on that one to 10 scale with lightning? That's a good question. I've never quite thought about it that way. Um, I mean, we've made a lot of progress and, you know, since the time of uh, Benjamin Franklin, you know, it's been what, 270 years or so since his kite experiment. And everyone kind of assumes that he had it all figured out. So I think if you ask most people, it'd say, oh, Benjamin Franklin, you know, we're 10 there, we got it all covered. Um, but what actually he showed was that lightning is an electrical phenomenon. That wasn't obvious at the time. People knew about, you know, little sparks in the labs and, and electricity at the time, but it wasn't obvious that that thing that they're seeing up there was the same thing that they were studying down here. And he really made that connection. So we figured out, you know, thanks to Benjamin Franklin, that lightning is electrical in nature, which is a big deal. But those more things we can say about lightning other than it involves electricity. Uh, So, you know, in the following centuries, people have made step-by-step progress figuring out, you know, how it propagates. You know, we're really good at saying what it does and you know there's entire books written about what it does but we're not so good about saying how it does it so the what it does part you know we're probably up around a, you know a nine or so the how it does it part which is really what scientists want to answer we're probably down around a three or four so if i kind of understand this right essentially there's a buildup around in the atmosphere around usually it seems like a storm and there's too much of one electrical charge, so the storm says, "Let's use the lightning to get rid of this part." Mm-hmm. Was, was that it? Yeah, <laughs> did, yeah. Like, did so, I get it? I mean, yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's charge separation that goes on inside a thunderstorm. So okay, so thunderstorms, you got a lot of precipitation, you know, water, hail, things like that, um, and you have updrafts, and the updrafts will blow up the light cloud particles and they uh, go up to the top and the heavy stuff, um, hail and rain fall down and they bump into each other. And it's like walking across a carpet and you can pick up charge and the charge, the updraft blows the lighter stuff up, which usually charges positive. The heavier stuff falls under its own weight and that usually charges negative. So you separate the charge. So by a mechanical means and you start building up more and more charge and the electric field in between the voltages rise and it gets big enough where then it sparks kind of like you know you build up a charge walking across the carpet you touch a doorknob you get a spark and somehow but we don't okay so that's a big picture but the problem with that is we know how big the electric fields how intense the charges need to be to make a spark and they're never close to that and so people have been searching for these big electric fields for decades and never have found them. I, 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 I get what you're saying, but I can't quite grasp it with my mind, if that makes okay. any sense. So we, we know that you need very intense charges, very concentrated charges to break down air. So air normally doesn't conduct electricity very well. Um, you know, air's, you know, we are fairly well insulated by air. If you're standing next to um, a wall outlet or something, you're not going to get a spark suddenly flying towards you or electricity shooting out of the wall because air you know, doesn't conduct electricity. 
Um, normally, to get air to conduct electricity, the air has to break down and make a spark. It's one way it does it, it makes a hot channel and electricity can flow along that hot channel. The air is so hot, it starts conducting. And so how do you get that spark going? Well, you need fairly large electric fields. The charges have to be so concentrated that air just can't take it anymore and it goes. Uh, so it can't withstand the voltages that are being applied. I'm using I'm, voltages and electric, electric fields interchangeably. It's actually the electric field that gets large. Um, and so to make a spark, you need big electric fields, highly concentrated charges, and we just cannot find them. And so somehow we're still getting a spark uh, some way inside the thunderstorm, and we don't know exactly how that's happening. So we don't know exactly like what's producing enough of it to get it started. Correct. We Yeah, they, we know there are big charges up there, but they don't seem to be quite big enough or concentrated enough. Is all lightning lightning? Is it all the same or are there different kinds, different? Is all lightning the same? Uh, okay, well, there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, so most lightning never leaves the thunderstorm. So most lightning starts inside the thunderstorm and never leaves. Maybe two-thirds of it, three-quarters of it, never leave the storm. That's called intracloud lightning. Um, and so you'll see thunderstorms lighting up and there's a lot of action. And then every once in a while, it'll send one down to the ground. And that's cloud to ground. That's what most people are concerned about when one comes down and can potentially hurt people. Uh, and are those two types of lightning, the stuff up there and the stuff that comes down, the same? Yeah, basically, it just went someplace different. Consider heat lightning. So a lot of people think that heat lightning is something different. It looks different. You see the sort of the sky light up and there doesn't seem to be a thunderstorm. It seems to be something different. But it's actually just uh, lightning from a normal thunderstorm that's far enough away that you can't hear the thunder. Thunder can only go so far. And so there's a lot of different ways we see lightning that we give it different names, but it's actually just the same thing. Now, having said that, there are some types of lightning that do seem to be truly different. Um, there are giant electrical discharges above the thunderstorm. So sometimes lightning can, instead of going down to the ground, can shoot up to space. Those are called gigantic jets. And when you start going up towards space, the air gets, you know, the density of air gets so low that it starts behaving differently and it turns into these giant blue fans that shoot up to space. And so it starts behaving differently. Uh, other types of electrical discharges are when you have lightning near the ground, you can get these giant red jellyfish above the thunderstorm at the edge of space. Those are called sprites. And those are behaving differently. And there's other types of electrical discharges inside thunderstorms too. There's types that make lots of gamma rays. Um, you know, the thing that... Uh, uh, made the Incredible Hulk, you know, the, uh, these are energetic photons, sort of high-energy versions of X-rays, and thunderstorms can make those too, and there's some type of electrical discharge inside thunderstorms that can make gamma rays, and that seems to be different as well. How come I've never seen, like, the stuff going up? Like, that sounds like that would be amazing to see. It's not as common as normal lightning, and it's very brief, um, and so you have to have good, you know, dark adapted eyes, uh, the sprites can be seen with the human eye. Uh, they last about a thousandth of a second. 
if you have good dark adapted eyes and usually sometimes you can catch it with the corner of your eye and but by the time you look it's gone and so people for for a long time have sort of been seeing these but not knowing what they saw just this brief flash of light above a thunderstorm so what determines where the lightning goes i mean lightning pretty much can go where it wants to it can carry um, its own charge and modify the electric fields and so it's really hard to predict exactly where it's going to go but generally it's wanting to follow where the charges are so lightning wants to neutralize the charges and lightning can come in both polarities you can have negative lightning which wants to find positive charge and you can have positive lightning that's wanting to find negative charge so it's sort of following the electric field trying to find the charge and when lightning goes down there's often some positive charge at the bottom of the thunderstorm and when negative lightning goes and it kind of sops it all up and if it's still hungry it will go on down to the ground so if it hits somebody is it because they were charged in the opposite of the lightning or just they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time more wrong place at the wrong time though it's a little bit complicated that's called the lightning attachment problem which is another thing we don't fully understand but as lightning's coming down it's gonna hit something on the ground um and actually, lightning doesn't really see the ground until it starts getting pretty close. So normally, there's a layer of charge right above the ground that kind of blankets and makes the ground look featureless from the lightning's point of view. So it has to get pretty close within you know, 100 yards or so before it starts seeing structures like houses and trees and people on the ground. So you know, once it's sort of zooming in, it's overhead, it's going to hit something in your area. And then it decides what to do. And one thing that determines it is that as it approaches, the charges are so big in the lightning that you start getting all these little sparks off of things on the ground, off of tree branches, off of uh, TV antennas, off of people's heads. And whichever spark races up and catches the lightning, which everyone wins, is the one that gets struck. And so, yes, you will have some opposite charges on you that develop. And that'll cause a spark. Uh, so yeah, it's complicated, but um, usually lightning's gonna strike somewhere in the area anyway. You just end up being unlucky. So the lightning, even like when this lightning strike starts, it doesn't even know where it's going. It just kind of like, all right, going this way now. Yeah, it's going down to the ground. It senses the ground. The ground, for example, most lightning's negatively charged, and the ground will look positive to it, and it's wanting to get the opposite charges or attracting. It's wanting to get to the positive charge near the ground. So I always kind of think of, obviously, of lightning as the bolt itself. But what's kind of happening right around that part that we see? Yeah, so lightning is a electrical discharge. It forms a hot channel, which we call a leader. It's about as wide as your finger, and which is a pretty neat trick, actually. You know, lightning can travel hundreds of miles, and yet it's only about as wide as your finger. And somehow it can conduct electricity over that distance and break down the air in front of it, make it a conductor. Um, so as it's propagating, it um, is breaking down the air. It's turning the air into a conductor, allowing electricity to flow into the channel. It's feeding the channel and heating it up. And so it's making the channel propagate forward, heating up the channel, breaking down the air, sending more current. Um, and this part as it's coming down to the ground is not super bright. It will, uh, sometimes as it comes down, it will travel in a, like a stepwise manner. It'll go some distance, pause, almost like it runs out of steam. 
then leap forward, pause, leap forward. Sometimes it branches. As it comes down to the ground, it's these hot channels are forming coming down. And then when it touches the ground, you it's kind of like a short circuit. So you have this millions of volts up here in the thunderstorm. You suddenly touch the ground. I mean, if you ever accidentally put jumper cables the wrong way across a battery, um, you know, it can be impressive. But imagine putting jumper cables across a 100 million volt battery. And so you suddenly have a short circuit between the cloud and the ground and you get a massive rush of current up the channel that heats the channel to about 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, about five times the surface temperature of the sun. And that's what makes it so bright. It suddenly gets really hot from all the current flowing. And so it's very bright. And then the air expands in the shock wave, and that makes the thunder we hear. Yeah, you know, you mentioned kind of gamma rays and x-rays. Is that is that coming off of the lightning or coming off of the storm? Okay, well, both, actually. So thunderstorms, as I mentioned before, can make gamma rays. And that seems to be happening in sort of the large-scale electric fields inside the thunderstorm. So, yes, thunderstorms make gamma rays, but it turns out lightning also makes x-rays. And that comes off of the so the tip of the lightning as it moves. Um, and these are x-rays kind of like a, a chest x-ray. They're about the same energy. I like to think that yeah, if you've ever watched a, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny struck by lightning, you can some, momentarily see a skeleton, right? It's actually, you know, scientists would you know, laugh that ha, 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 those cartoonists don't know what they're talking about. They actually had it right all along. Lightning does make x-rays, and I suppose if you could see x-rays like Superman, it would look just like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. How much when we talk about gamma rays, right? Like, are we talking about a lot? Like, do I need to worry about turning into the Hulk or? No. Uh, actually, this, this is important because sometimes people hear about x-rays and gamma rays and radiation. They get really frightened. And a lot of people have close encounters with lightning. Nobody should be frightened about the x-rays or the gamma rays coming out of lightning. It is scientifically interesting, and scientists get all excited about it because we can measure it very easily. But in terms of a radiation dose, it is not significant. You know, if you had you were struck by lightning, you would get a far larger dose if they took you to the hospital and x-rayed your head. So, you know, it's not something people need to worry about. You're not going to get sick from radiation from lightning or anything like that. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Go. Some of the questions are kind of dumb <laughs> or brilliant. Like they might be dumb, but brilliant in their own kind of way. Well, there's really no dumb questions here. Let me to kind of just pause and tell you a, a, a quick story. When I first got into this field, when I was 20 something years ago, I was doing space physics. I didn't do nothing about lightning, but I was living in Florida. And it seemed like something to study. And so I, found a local lightning expert who had been working in the field. And I'd ask a question like, well, how does this work? Kind of like the questions you're asking. And his answer will be, well, nobody knows. And I'd ask another question and he would say, well, actually nobody knows. And after a while of doing this, I realized this is a great field because all the big questions have not been answered. And so there's really no dumb questions here because usually the answer is something like nobody knows. That's what I've been surprised about during this is that like, oh, I thought we would have figured some of this stuff out by now. Like I just assumed like, oh, yeah, we know exactly how that thing works. But it seems like we kind of don't. And uh, Big pictures, we have a good idea. And like I said, we know what it does really well. We can describe what it does 
but just but how it does it is tricky. It's just really a hard problem. And, you know, even drawing a picture or a diagram of what does a lightning channel look like in details, it's even hard to do that, you know, because it's, you know, you're seeing the bright stuff. That's easy. But that's just the hot channel. That's just a hot channel with current going through it. We can't really see the dim stuff or all the interesting stuff's going on. And so it's just, it's a lot of difficulty in doing good measurements like we need to. So is there, is then there, is there lightning that we can't see that hits the ground? Um, the, well, you can't see, um, well, normal lightning, you're always going to see, but okay. You need to, if you're going to do a sensitive measurement, you know, you need to know where you're going to point your camera. Right. And to get, you know, up close to lightning and study it, you know, you want to be close and sensitive and things like that. So you need to know where to point things, but you never know exactly where lightning's going to strike. Um, so that's a difficulty. It's difficult to get close. And then it's difficult if you do get lucky and you get close, it's hard to repeat the experiment. Uh, now there are places like the empire state building where lightning strikes all the time, but that's upward lightning that's initiated from the top itself. And that's not quite the same as studying the downward stuff. So there's just a lot of problems in trying to figure it out and learn about it. Yeah. It does sound incredibly difficult to study, right? Like we got our cameras set up. Oh, crap. It's behind us. Yeah. I this was a, especially hard with the um, x-rays. So up until about 20 years ago, we did not know that lightning made, made x-rays. That wasn't known. And um, why didn't people figure that out? Well, you have to get sensitive x-ray detectors near the lightning. And that's just really hard to do. And, you, you know, within 100 yards or so. And you have to wait a long time to be within a hundred yards of a lightning strike with sensitive instruments. And then if you get lucky and manage to do it, then it's hard to repeat the experiment. So like over the previous, you know, 50 years or so, occasionally someone would say, Hey, if I, I think lightning makes exercise, I think I saw something and okay, let's, let's try to verify this. And you wait another 20 years till somebody tries to get something close. And it's just really hard to verify and confirm any results. I want to follow up on one thing that kind of jumped out at me that you said when we were talking about like lightning coming from the cloud, so to speak, to the ground, that sometimes it seems to like pause. Is that why yeah. sometimes when I see it, it looks kind of like it goes in stages, like it goes to here, yeah. then it jumps, then it goes to there? Yeah, yeah, that zigzaggy lightning pattern is because lightning steps. So lightning propagates. Um, in a stepwise manner that's called the stepped leader because it steps, um, you know, maybe about 10, 20 yards or so each step. And sometimes it can branch. So it'll have this zigzaggy branched appearance. Why does it do that? Actually, we don't know. How does it do that? We don't know. Um, start with one of the easier ones. Does lightning strike twice? Sure. Does lightning strike twice all the time. Uh, so the, I mentioned the Empire State Building. Empire State Building struck many times a year. Um, you know, it's a tall pointy thing. And when there's thunderstorms in the area, you often get lightning. There's no reason that lightning can't strike something twice, especially if something's tall and pointy and you have a lot of lightning in the area, you could have lightning strike something uh, multiple times. But just if you take just a patch of brown, you might have to wait a while. Just you know, simply the odds of it happening in that spot again is going to be small. Will it ever like for? I had read something one time or heard something one time that if somebody gets hit by lightning, they're like charged in a way, and they will attract lightning strikes again. Is that a myth, or is there any truth to that? 
I mean, any charge that someone would pick up by being struck by lightning will be very fleeting. It will be gone instantaneously. Uh, now, certainly a lot of current will flow through somebody when they're struck by lightning. Typical currents with a lightning strike are 30,000 amps, and it can be much larger than that. And so that it could potentially leave a little residual charge, which would then quickly dissipate. So no, some no one is going to attract lightning after being struck. Now, probably where something like that comes from is if you have somebody that likes to go hiking during thunderstorms on ridges, they might get struck more than once just simply because they put themselves in the wrong place. Uh, most frequent and least frequent locations. Most lightning happens over land, not the oceans. And if you look at maps where lightning is, um, it is, you know, it you can see the outline of the uh, continents. Uh, there's lots of lightning in the United States in central Florida. That's the lightning capital of central Florida. Um, the um, Central Africa has lots and lots of lightning, and the, there is a lake in uh, South America that actually, I think, has the highest concentration in the world. That's just because of the local weather patterns. Are we getting more or less lightning now than we have in the past? Okay, that is a good question. So um, we know that climate is changing, uh, and so does this mean we're going to get more lightning or less lightning? Uh, it's hard to answer that because, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, we don't understand how lightning works, how it gets started. So theoretically, it's hard to predict what will happen. It's also you want to look for long-term trends, but you really need to look over a really long period of time. And we just have not had the instrumentation consistently measuring things for a long enough period of time to really make sure that we can see trends. Um, probably for I would say for certain there will be shifting weather patterns, which will mean the patterns of lightning will probably be shifting somewhat. How do you feel about force lightning? Like uh, from Emperor Palpatine, Star Wars? Uh, yeah, I think that definitely needs more research. Uh, so I'll work on, I'll put that on my list as something I'll work on after I figure out normal lightning. How powerful is your average lightning strike? Is there any way we could harness this? Oh, I wish that were true. Uh, my research funding would uh, be a lot better if uh, somehow lightning could be an energy source. But unfortunately, no. Um, so lightning certainly is very powerful. There are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of amps flowing through a lightning channel. The voltages are measured in hundreds of millions of volts. And you combine those, that's a lot of power. And of course, we're seeing that with how bright lightning is. Um, but lightning's also brief. So the entire bright part of the lightning will last maybe, uh, say, a few hundred microseconds, a few hundred millionths of a second. And so lots of power, but over a short time. And so you combine those thing, two things together, there's not a lot of energy there. So if you suppose you wanted to try to make a lightning farm and maybe capture all the lightning you can get, maybe do it in some place where there's a lot of lightning, like Florida, and maybe try to get lots of towers and everything. And if somehow you can collect all the lightning, get all the energy out of all the lightning in some lightning, reasonable lightning farm, the best you can do is power one 100-watt light bulb. What would happen, though, if we didn't have it? Like, what if the storms didn't produce lightning? You know, lightning does affect atmospheric chemistry um, and can have some beneficial effects there. Um, 
you know, you turned off the lightning, I'm sure there would be a lot of consequences, some of them that would be not so pleasant. Is it possible to turn off lightning? That would mean we didn't have thunderstorms. And that means we would have a very different atmosphere than we have right now. But it wouldn't like if the out the lightning isn't like an outlet that keeps the storm from just spiraling out of control or anything like that. I mean, in, in a sense, it does. I mean, the thunderstorm's charging up and it's the safety valve sort of on the thunderstorm. There is a lot of energy inside a thunderstorm. And, you know, it's uh, so it's a way of sort of, you know, um, relieving the pressure of some in some sense, you know, electrically. Uh, and so if you just had a thunderstorm that can charge up uh, without lightning, well, okay, there are other types of electrical just discharges that would start kicking in, little discharges that would sort of reduce the thunderstorm electric field over time. So I would say if you sort of could somehow turn off the big impressive lightning, then probably little stuff would start kicking in. Oddest way you've ever heard of someone getting hit by lightning. Well, okay, I'm not trying to answer exactly the question. Um, so let me let me answer a, a sort of a related question. Um, so a lot of people are hurt by lightning by taking shelter under trees. And that seems like there's a, you know, you're outside, there's a thunderstorm. It seems like that would be a safe place, you know. Okay, then, you know, let the tree get struck, I'm, you know, out of the rain under the tree, but actually being near a tree is one of the most dangerous places you can be during a thunderstorm. And so a lot of people pick the worst thing they could do and stand under a tree and they go stand there. Uh, and the reason is, is lightning likes to strike tall pointy things. And so that tree has a reasonable chance of getting struck and lightning strikes are messy. There are currents flowing everywhere. There's going to be sparks flying off the branches of the tree. Uh, there's going to be currents flowing through the ground. And so you're sort of tying your fate to the fate of that tree. And so if you're staying next to the tree, okay, the tree might get struck, but then can send off what's called a side flash and hit you off the branches. The currents that come down the tree will flow across the ground, will go up one leg down the other. That's called a step voltage. And that can shock you that way. So a lot of people are hurt by taking shelter next to the trees. It's not a good idea. The one that I can think of, I was used to be a reporter working in central Florida and lightning happened at a football game, but it hit a fence on the other side, ran through the fence and shocked somebody on the other side of the field. Yeah. You really don't want to be standing next to long conductors, you know, or when you're, you know, the safest place to be during a thunderstorm is inside a house, but you don't want to connect yourself electrically to the outside by, you know, talking on a phone with a wire. I don't even know if those exist anymore. A phone with a wire going. Oh yeah, yeah. Or you know, all the, all the things I used to say don't do, like uh, don't go up and turn the knob on the TV and don't talk on the phone with the wire. We don't really do those things anymore. Just don't anything that has a wire that connects you to the outside or even plumbing that can connect you to the outside. Stay away from that during a thunderstorm. What, re what are you researching now and how do you think that that will affect the world? It's a pretty dramatic way to put it, right? But like, I guess, what are you studying now and what do you think the effects and ramifications of that will ultimately be? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things I'm working on. I'm working with colleagues in the Netherlands using data from um, radio data from uh, 
radio instrument called LOFAR. This can measure, there's lots of antennas around Northern Europe and can kind of triangulate where the radio waves are coming from and map out the lightning in detail. And it's very sensitive, so we can sort of see the first instances of when lightning gets started. And so that the big question is, how does lightning get started? Well, we're going to measure all the little discharges very carefully with this instrument. And that's telling us something about what's happening right at the beginning, which is a big question. So I'm working on that. Another thing I'm working on is I'm trying to understand how thunderstorms make gamma rays. There are these monster bursts of gamma rays that come out of thunderstorms. They're called terrestrial gamma ray flashes. They can blind spacecraft in low Earth orbit. And we don't know how they work. They're really cool. They're really, really exciting. They're telling us something about what's going on inside the thunderstorm. And I'm trying to figure out how those work. Do all thunderstorms create lightning in one way or another, whether we see it or we don't? Well, sort of by definition, if it's a thunderstorm, it is making lightning. So not all clouds make lightning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's some types of clouds that make lightning and others that don't. But, um, you know, you do have to have the right conditions. You have to have be able to have, you know, a lot of energy in the atmosphere and create updrafts. You seem to need to have ice that form. So the cloud needs to be tall enough where you start forming ice that seems to be an important ingredient is does it ever go from the ground up or is that a myth no it, well okay most lightning will start inside the thunderstorm uh and then propagate you know either in the thunderstorm or come down to the ground now when it strikes the ground there will be a current wave that sort of races back up so the first contacts to the ground and then the current gets really large when it contacts and the current wave will go up, but that's still lightning coming down. It just sort of reacts when it hits the ground and there is a wave that propagates up, kind of recoils back up. Uh, but there are other types of lightning that can be initiated from towers, Empire State Building, other tall towers. Um, that is basically upward lightning that starts at the tower. Now that can either be initiated by something inside the thunderstorm or sometimes just go off by itself. That's pretty much all the questions we got. Is there anything you think that we missed or? I mean, it's always good to go over, you know, sort of how do you stay safe during a thunderstorm? That's sort of the, the public service announcement part of it. Uh, so lightning does hurt and kill a lot of people and you really don't want to be part of a lightning flash. I mean, you know, it'll be a really bad day. Um, but Good news is we really don't need to be afraid of lightning. We just need to, you know, have a healthy respect for, you know, how much it can hurt. Um, so if there is a thunderstorm in the area, it's really quite simple. You just go inside, inside a house, a building, and it has to be a substantial structure. I'm not talking about a baseball dugout or something like that. It needs to be, you know, a house or inside an office building or something like that. That's generally the safest place to be. And just stay inside until all the lightning thunder is gone, wait about 30 minutes afterwards. Every once in a while, a thunderstorm will save a big one, sort of a grand finale at the end. And you don't want to be part of that grand finale. So wait 30 minutes till the show's over, uh, you know, and uh, then it will be safe to go back outside. But once inside, you know, don't connect electrically to the outside world. And then that's generally safe. Uh, it's not safe standing outside uh, under a tree. Uh, cars are relatively safe as long as it has a metal frame. Um, but if the best advice is if you hear thunder, go inside.
is the thing about like I always learned like one Mississippi that would tell you how far away it is. Is that true? That yes. Yeah. So the way a lightning flash works is the lightning will strike, say, the ground. It's very hot, very bright, and it will also make thunder at the same time. Now light travels very quickly, so we see the light almost instantaneously, but it takes a while for the sound to travel along. Sounds fast, but not that fast. So it can take many seconds for the sound to reach us. And if you count from the time you see the flash to the time you hear the thunder, you can figure out how far away it was. Now that's part of what we call the 30-30 rule. You, if, you count to, if you can count to 30 and, uh, and not hear the thunder, then you know, that's by some measure, it's probably far enough away. The second part of the 30-30 rule is wait for 30 minutes. But the first part of that 30-30 rule is really dumb, actually, because if you can hear thunder at all, it's close enough to hurt you. So you're just giving it an extra 30 seconds to get you by standing outside counting. And so if you just hear it at all, just go inside. You don't need to count. I want to thank Professor Dwyer so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. What's the unluckiest thing that's ever happened to you? Meeting you. Nice. Unluckiest nice. thing. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I haven't been very unlucky. I have a lot of things that have gone wrong, but they're like small moments, nothing major. But you don't feel like overall you're an unlucky person. Which one would you say you're closer to, being unlucky or lucky? Definitely lucky. I mean, I met my wife. Uh, I mean, people who know me know, maybe you feel the same boat. I, I probably shouldn't be married at this point, at least not to a good person. No, I would agree with that. Um, I have two great kids. I mean, you know, it could be a lot worse. So I would definitely lean lucky. Yeah. I don't think that I've ever been like lucky where things kind of go well for me. But I don't think that I'm unlucky either. I mean, I'm unlucky in the sense of like, I don't win bets. I don't even come close to winning bets. I don't come close to winning anything, really. I don't remember the last time I won something. I can't think of anything that I've ever won. I've never won like the the only time that I would say that I really won something is one time in Vegas. I won $110 playing a card game that I didn't even know what was going on. I don't actually know anybody who's really won anything. There was a friend of mine, his mother won the Michigan lottery when we were teenagers. Like 350,000 or something. If I won less than a million dollars in the lottery, I would kind of feel unlucky. Because like, oh, I won the lottery. How much did you win? 50 grand. Like, oh. <laughs> I've always wondered. I've always felt that way, actually, as well. You know, it, when, you know obviously being in the news, we get releases of, the, of things and information of people who have won. Hey, this person won 96 grand. Like, mm. that's really, okay, great. If I feel like you're, I don't even consider it winning the lottery at this point if it's not over 50 million. <laughs> uh, 
even a million dollars. They're like, oh, he won a million. Like, yeah, but it wasn't it like a billion something a little while ago. I'm not that impressed unless it's over 50. Here's a, uh, a question for you. Do you believe in that statement, it's better to be lucky than good? Yeah, 100%. That's absolutely true. I think that if you find, if you look at most people who are in successful positions, it's a combination of basically luck, right? Either they were born with the genetic abilities to be in that position, either through athletic or through intelligence, or they were born into the circumstances of having connections like that. I think most of life comes down to luck. I think your life is basically decided for you before you're even born. I mean, that's a mic drop moment. I, I, I can't say it any better than, than that. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's luck. I mean, being born into privilege and power and all that thing, I don't know if that's luck. But at the same point, I don't know what, what else it would be. So I'll, I'll go Yeah, with I mean, it's, I think it's complete luck. I think basically if you look at your entire situation in life, it's pretty much just the luck of the draw. Like you were either born into good circumstances in one way or another or you weren't. And if you weren't, it's very difficult to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. But yet it feels like there's a lot more unlucky moments for people than there are lucky out there. Because you only remember the negative, man. But you're positive. Look at that haircut. Look at that haircut. Paid $18 for that. Yeah, it looks good, man. Your age, still having hair like that? That's Ooh, that's all look. As long as that's at my age, all I care about is if it's there. I don't even look. I don't even look at the haircut. I could care less if the hair is there. I don't care what it looks like. I don't. Not at all. If the hair is there, that should be a new slogan. I'm not bad mouthing it because then it's gonna leave. How's your hair look? Great. I don't care what it looks like. If it's there, that's all I care about. At what age do you start to get worried that your hair is gonna start to thin out and fall out? As soon as you start to see it go, man, that age varies for a lot of different people. I have some friends who are probably worried at 14. (laughs) I mean, listen, you know, I'm laughing. I don't mean to laugh uh, because I know it's a very stressful thing for men and women. Um, But, yeah, that's not a situation I'll I'll ever have to worry about. I'm probably going to die with a full head of hair. Um, (laughs) All right. Speaking of critics, let's give some shout outs. Uh, Let's see. We'll start with Jim Doubt. Uh, Joe Shields, Emmanuel Soto, Christian Boxley, Robel Kabidi, Trent Kipp, Liam Dobson, Avery Stenson, Luis Ortega, and Winston Rudison. And I ended on Winston because I don't know why, but it's it's good to see a Winston every now and again. Winston, Trent, and Liam are some of the names that are good names as long as you don't hear them very often. They need to be like one out of 50 or one out of 100, and then those are good names. But if you had a lot of Trents, that can go bad pretty quick. There can only be a few Trents or Liams, unless you're in like England or something. Then you can have more Liams. Good day, mate. All right, let's... Right, uh Australian. Yeah, same thing. Uh, can you do British? Try Just try British. I don't think I can. I don't even know what it sounds like, to be honest with you. It's, uh, you know. Go- governor? Governor? Hello, governor. It's close enough. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyways, I got a couple of uh, bangers for you. Okay. 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 Uh, 
You have to pick one of these, and this is all you can use for the rest of your life. Regular glue, a glue stick, or whiteout? Well, glue stick, just because it's the most easiest to use. I don't think I've used glue in 20 years. <laughs> I mean, apparently I've used it recently because it's the reason why I thought of the question while I was using glue on my children's homework. Why are you doing your children's homework? It was a parent activity, and we were making an Easter egg thing together. And I got, okay. th I got to thinking, I also haven't used glue in a long time. But I feel like glue's underrated. Yeah, I mean, is there an alternative to glue? Tape, I guess. But I'm yeah. not going to put, I would much rather use tape than glue. I trust tape more than I trust glue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless we're going like uh, like Gorilla Glue, you know, or like the cement glue. Like, then, then you know that, that whatever you're doing isn't going anywhere. But Elmer's glue uh, and, and, and a regular glue stick, garbage. Yeah, I would, I don't even, even if it's Gorilla Glue, I'm not really trusting it that much. I trust tape far more than I trust glue. Always have, really. Do you ever, do you ever sniff glue? Uh, you ever get down with glue? You ever no, I was more of a whippet, a whippet kind of guy with the aerosol than a, than a, a glue sniffer, believe it or not. I've, I've never done any of that stuff. Oh, I mean. I've known people who have tried it, but I've never done anything that like where I'm inhaling things. I knew a kid who inhaled gas. That didn't, I mean, you can imagine how well that turned out for him. Like, like Not actual very. gasoline? I think he sniffed gasoline. What, so, uh, yeah. what are you more leery of eating? 4 a.m. Taco Bell? Or expiring next day meat from the deli counter? Actually, I'm fine with both of those, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, because e either way, I feel like if I have Taco Bell, you're shitting your brains out the entire weekend or the next two days. And if you get the meat, it's a 50-50 chance of it actually being okay for you to cook it. I'm actually, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm, I would be more leery of the 4 a.m. Taco Bell than I would be the meat. Right. Like if you're getting that from a grocery store, they've got some pretty decent regulations that I think that they have to have. The difficulty with the Taco Bell is that you don't exactly know what has transpired in the making yeah. of it. I don't feel that way about the grocery store. I'm not worried about the quality of either one being a little bit past its prime. It's fine. I'm worried about what went into putting it together, which Taco Bell would be my bigger concern. Have you ever showed up to a fast food establishment at closing time, whether that's 2 a.m. or 4 a.m., and you know something's going on with your food? Yeah, you don't do that. As a person who started out, my first job was in a restaurant. You don't show up. You don't show up within an hour of closing time. Fast food, maybe 30 minutes. You don't do that to people. You get, I, if you if you show up five minutes before closing time at a restaurant, you get what you deserve. I don't feel bad for you. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree. I also am going to go out on a limb here and say I am thankful I've never worked in the restaurant industry because I'm not sure I would eat out or eat fast food ever again if it is indeed like that gaudy at some places. I don't think so. I think that you can. I think that you, most people like you do pretty well considering i think most places are pretty fine because you don't want to get in trouble man yeah don't want to don't want to get in trouble
and stir the pot. Uh, all right, let's see. Uh, okay. So our choices this week to talk about uh, American Horror Story Season 12, starring one of the Kardashian ladies. That was really the only reason why, because they never go Which away. one is it? Which one is it? Uh, Kim, I believe. It's interesting that they've never really been able to turn anything that they did into anything else. I mean, I know that they've been successful in business, but I think if you reach that level of fame, you would be successful in business regardless of what you did. Like, you're just attaching your name to things at that point. But they've never been able to transition into, like, singing or, well, acting or turn that into anything else besides being famous for being famous. Yeah, n nothing. Uh, it's actually kind of amazing. Uh, let's see. Other choice, the Masters, uh, for all you golf fans out there. Pretty exciting this weekend. Uh, I guess the biggest story wasn't even who won. It was more or less that Tiger Woods is probably done playing ultra-competitive golf, If for those of you who didn't watch or know of him. Uh, he literally couldn't walk after two rounds. I'm not, And I'm not saying that golf is easy, like whatever, but he was uh, – I think he did a lot more damage in that car accident two years ago than any of us will ever know. I mean, he could—he looked like an 85-year-old man. Uh, it was terrible to watch. Yeah, it's also impressive to me that 20-plus years later, let's just call it 20 for the sake of argument, 20 years after he kind of started to decline, he's still the biggest name in golf. It, it is kind of, yeah, it, it is ironic, right, that uh, his name just transcends. It's the only one you care about. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of a testament to him, no matter how shitty of a personal life he has or had, that he, you know, goes out there and still tries when he doesn't have to at all. Not even, not even a little bit. Uh, let's see. Uh, another choice here, work from home wars. Apparently there's all kinds of data recently from different uh, studies that were done from all kinds of different publications and, and groups and things basically saying that, you know, like 50%, like these were a couple of the headlines that I remember, like 50% of office buildings are unoccupied now due to people working from home. And one, uh, one study basically said that people who work from home are like 96% more successful and productive than being in the office. Um, so there's like yeah. a new movement now post COVID, you know, for work working from home again. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a much better idea. I'm somebody that works from home. It's definitely more productive. I think that there's some like the CEOs of companies want people to come back in, but I don't think that those CEOs of companies have realized that the entire work balance has shifted because not only have we started working from home more and proven that this can be actually be done. We're in the middle of a population shift where these older CEOs that used to have kind of used to be a big thing. It was a huge like privilege for you to get a job. They need us a lot more than we need them. And I think that they're going to come to the realization that like, look, there's not as many people who are of working age as there used to be. And you don't have this power that you once did. And I think that it's a fantastic thing for the average person, the average worker, to be taking back control. And I think all of us should band together and say, we're not going to put up with this shit. Yeah, like Twisted Sister said, we're not going to take it. People are uh, sick of it. I think that there's a huge movement that people are sick of shit. And I've always hated the idea that, that somebody at a job interview, why do you want to work here? Well, I don't want to work here. 
I want to work here because you're paying me. So this <laughs> idea that we really want people who work here, like this is just a job. And I think it's completely fair to go on a completely massive rant that companies have been screwing people over for a long time. And this idea that you're going to give us less of a product for more money, well, now we're going to treat you like you've been treating us. And I'm only going to do the amount of work that you're paying me for. And they don't like it very much. But fuck them. Wow. Yeah, usually it's me on the ramp. But, um, well, uh, in saying that, the winner of the poll, the topic this week, was uh, is puffer fishes. We'll go I do love a puffer. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll go- What's the- all right. You don't have to tell me twice. What yeah. is it about puffer we'll, fishes? We'll go from a corporate America rant to puffer fishes, um, which this isn't a good story, essentially. Uh, but basically, a couple in Malaysia bought uh, a couple of fish that they were sold, obviously, that they w- did not know were puffer fishes at the time. And they ate these puffer fishes and oh, died. That's like um, super toxic. Yeah. And um, I, <laughs> I had two questions for this. One, I don't recall a time in my life where I like bought something not knowing what it was or, or thinking that I, I didn't even know what it was. Like if I buy a, a salmon and it doesn't look like salmon, I'm not going to eat it. Yeah, I'm not really. You got to watch it with that, man. Like food poisoning is no joke. Any kind of stuff like that. Like I'm a fairly outdoorsy person and there's some trails in Washington where I live where they're like, you can pick the blueberries. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, if I buy like a package of, of, of meat and if it even looks a little dank or a little wrong or, a little, you know, a little brownness on the hamburger meat or something, I'm not doing it. I'm no. not. Nope. I'm not doing it. Unless I was hiking a trail and there was somebody there with botany degree credentials standing next to the blueberry bush <laughs> saying, this is okay to eat. And they had their degree with them. I wouldn't do that, man. Like, I don't think that would suck. What a way to go. Like, that's one of those things that could just happen to you, and you wouldn't even know it. That's being unlucky. Like, how'd they die? Well, they bought, first of all, you probably, like, what were you doing? Like, well, let's get the cheap fish at this market we've never been to. Seems legit. (laughs) Like, hmm, maybe you should have thought that one through a little bit. But that. So, uh, unfortunately, the couple, I mean, it, 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 it was pretty terrible what happened to them. I don't want to make light of that. But in doing some further research about puffer fish eating, apparently chefs in, in the Asian world, specifically Japan, they have to undergo a three-year extensive training course to be able to serve the fish, like cook and serve the fish. Yeah, it's like real. I think it's called fugu. It is called fugu. Look at you over there. I have this book that I read, the first book that I read in 10 years that was talking about, like, look, you got to be really careful eating a puffer fish. It's apparently a terrible <laughs> death, too. Like, you asphyxiate from the inside. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, yeah, that's getting unlucky. Yeah, that is, that is, that is unlucky. Man, that'd be the worst, too. Like, that would be the worst thing if an afterlife does exist and you go up there and, like, how'd you die? <laughs> I bought cheap fish at a market <laughs> trying to save five bucks and it turned out to be poisonous 
what? I mean, <laughs> like that would be yeah, that would be like the same thing as like me getting bit by like a scorpion and dying. Like this right, little six inch animal that kills me, a two hundred and eighty pound man. Ooh. All right. Well, I mean, that seems like a reasonable fear, but let's go to our top five, which is top five unreasonable fears. Like things that you know are not going to happen or not dangerous, but you're just incredibly paranoid of them. What's your number five? You know what? I figured I'd start off this top five with uh, something I've talked about on this podcast since the moment of its inception, essentially. And that is my irrational fear of parking lots. Why did parking lots scare you so much? I I don't know if it's the confrontation because like I I don't th- I don't think it's the actual um uh, uh what am I looking for It's not the actual uh, act of parking. I think it's having to find a spot and then you know if someone else is coming the other way do they do you let them go Do you go Do you stand your ground Do you you know Do you fight over it There's just a lot of angst there. Now are you like this though if somebody else is in the car with you? No, because in I'll park five minute walk away from the storefront. I don't care if that's the case. I don't think I think it should be one of the written. I think it should be a rule of the road that you don't judge people's parking. If you are not driving, then you can park. You can't say if you are not driving, you shouldn't say anything about where somebody's parking. Don't point to the closer spot. Don't say go up there. You should leave them alone. It is their choice where to park. Just like it's the driver gets to choose the radio station, driver gets to choose where to park. Sure. And I'm with you. I'll park at the back of the lot. This yeah. is this is not worth my time. I'm not spending 20 minutes trying to get three spots closer. A- absolutely. Yeah. I I don't even care if it's you know t- 20 below. I'll park. I'll walk. I, I don't I don't really care. I just don't want to deal with having all the all, all the nervousness that goes into parking in a parking lot my number five is quicksand i've always been scared of quicksand i mean i get it but i mean how many times are you ever going to run into quicksand have you ever even been in quicksand never even i've never seen quicksand i don't think i would even recognize it if it walked past it but i'm terrified of quicksand terrified of it oh okay i mean i get it i just that's irrational, right? Because you're probably never going to have to face it. So, like, I, I kind of get it. I don't even think it's actually dangerous. I think that you basically only sink to your waist, and then you just kind of have to walk out. I don't think that it's actually. But I just remember seeing the show. I think it was like Hound of the Baskervilles with Sherlock Holmes, and he died in quicksand. And ever since then, I've been like, watch out for quicksand. <laughs> You've just been like, it's over. It's absolutely it's over. over. And you're just immediately dead. If you'd even look at quicksand. What's your number four? Uh, severe <laughs> weather. And it's irrational. In, uh, let me explain. It's irrational because I live in an area where, yes, we get snow, we get wind, we get ice, we get thunderstorms. But I'm talking, I'm talking about like a, like a hurricane or a uh, tornado specifically. Basically, we, I mean, where I live, the chances of that, well, well, they might be going up now, but the the average chances of that are basically like 0.002%. But yet, if there's a thunderstorm, if there's a huge snowstorm, I, I start to get a little fearful. Like, here we go, severe weather incoming when there's no fear at all, really, to, to be had. 
that. I grew up in Kansas, and if there's severe weather, everybody goes outside to look at it. Of course there's. I mean, we, we've had a couple of those storm chaser folks on here, and they're, I mean, they're wild. They're insane just to hear them talk about. I go towards the, the tornado and the hurricane, and I love Kansas. No, no. Mm-hmm. My number four is the garbage disposal. I'm always worried anytime you got to put your hand in the garbage disposal. Like, I'm checking the power. I'm making sure nobody's around me. Okay. Making right. sure there's not, like, lightning outside. I'm always worried about my hand just getting chopped up in the garbage it's... disposal. So kind of along the same lines in the kitchen, my number three is, like, leaving the gas on, like leaving the stove on Ooh. or, like, a grill, you know, outside with the propane tank. Like, that's my number three. So I'll just say leaving the gas on for my number three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's this Leaving the stove on is something that you're always worried about but very rarely do. I would say you do it one for every 1,000 times that you've worried about that you've done it. <laughs> Um, my number three is jellyfish. I've always really been afraid of jellyfish. I just don't ever want to encounter a jellyfish. Really even look at a jellyfish. As, as you should be. I, I've, I've swam into a school of jellyfish and got stung the hell out of on a cruise. So yeah, it is not fun. Wait, how many? Okay. You really swam into like how many jellyfish we talking about? I had three welts on my chest. No, three. three. Don't come at me. Don't okay. say you swam into us. Okay. If, unless, if, it's, if it's not ten or more, don't okay. like, it's like, okay, you got stung a couple of times, right? Yeah, and you it hurt st- like hell, those three stings. One more than a couple, right? A swarm. Okay. Let's okay. downplay okay. it there, Johnny Drama. It did hurt. somebody pee? Did, I bet it did. I've actually been stung too. It fucking hurts. Did yeah. somebody pee on it? Did you pee on it? No, we went to the 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 first aid station. They put some kind of vinegar solution on me or something. I can't ever remember if you're actually not supposed to pee on it or if you are. I think it actually makes it worse, but I can't remember. It's one of those things where, like, with the bear, are you supposed to charge the bear or act dead for the bear there's like one that you stay still and one that you go after how much would that suck right like if you just pick the wrong ones like wait a minute okay so the bear you run at and the mountain lion you act big but then you pick the wrong one and they just maul you it's like no you got that backwards yep you're fucked ah, crap <laughs> yep you're dead uh what's what number are we on so we're on uh, our number two and um, this might be lame, but it's, I mean, it's a fear of mine uh, by far. And that is leaving uh, my dog outside and forgetting about them. And in uh, saying that, um, say it's cold outside. I let them out in the morning. Oh, and I, I get see the, what you're I saying. I get the kids ready. I get myself ready. I put everyone in the car. And sometimes I've gone back home, like after all of that, just to make sure I let him inside. Just it's just a fear of mine that he'll be outside that I'll will have forgotten about him, and you know his paws will freeze off or something, or like it'll be too hot in the summer, and he'll dehydrate. Like, you know, it's it's just it's it's literally one of the biggest fears I have. How far away from the house have you gotten and turned around? I dropped. I mean, I was probably I was probably an hour into my trip, and I was like I and it was you know it was one of those days in the summer where it was getting like maybe 50 in the morning and I was going to get up to 85, 90. 
And he, I don't have a lot of shade in my yard, so he doesn't have a lot of places to go. And it just so happens, for whatever reason, I went back home, and he was still outside. I had forgotten him, you know, and he would have been outside all day, you know, which nothing probably would have happened, but he would have, you know, he would have had no water, and he's a big dog. He's a lot of fur, so, you know, that's – I probably check. I'm kind of OCD, so I, I have like four or five things I do before I leave the house every morning that I make sure I check. One's the gas. One's the sh- the shower. Make sure I let my dog. <laughs> like I sound like a crazy person, but hopefully somebody out there can. I, can agree. I mean, like if turning around an hour out, I would be like, "Whoa, man, that's like getting that's pretty obsessive." But then the fact that you left the dog outside is like, yeah. "Well, that's pretty lucky." I'm like that about locking my front door. I think I've I usually it's only usually when I walk out somewhere. I'll, if I'm getting in the car, I'll probably go back to make sure the front door is locked like two or three times. Yeah, I like I said, maybe it's o, maybe it's more OCD than fears, but uh, but but I mean, I it, it's a terrible feeling. It's one of the most terrible feelings I think I've had. So, what's your number two? Social interactions with people. I dread social interactions more than I probably should. Hmm. Like they always end up being like kind of harmless. Like when you got to go, you got to meet new people or you got to go to like a work party with your significant other. Like I dread that a lot more than I should. I dread social interaction. It's one of those things that the amount of dread that I have for it versus the amount of damage it could potentially, like what's going to happen? You're going to talk to Steve and you're just going to die right afterwards? Like, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I share that, but, uh, I, I completely, I think a lot of people, that's probably the most, uh, I don't know, connecting one on the list for, cause I think a lot of people have that, that fear. The dread to outcome ratio is not worth it at all. Like no matter how much you dread any social interaction, it's not like something really bad is going to happen from it. Yeah. Half the time it's, it's just a, a wet fart or a puff of white smoke, right? Nothing actually happens. I don't know about the wet fart part. You may have lost me on that one. But what's your number one? Uh, once again, I think it's lame, but it's me, and it's uh, it's cockroaches. Oh, I would think that that's probably a lot of people's number one is I, bugs. They're just terrifying, but they can't do anything to you, but they scare you. Yeah, I'm... <sighs> I'm going to sound really uneducated, more more so than usual here, but cockroaches to me signify dirtiness and just grossness and nastiness and boof. Like having lived in Florida a few years and there's cockroaches that fly down there, like fuck Palmetto that. Bug. Nope. Yeah. They're terrifying. I don't even like the word cockroach. No, it's no. Not- Roach. Ooh. That's one of the worst words in the English language. I would, I had, I thought about putting bugs as number one, but my number one is, for me, I mean, it's hugely irrational, but I think about it at least once a day, and I'm terrified of the possibility. Getting sucked into a wood chipper. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's definitely, that's like your quicksand thing. Like, how many times have you even been around wood chippers? I've been around wood chippers three times in my life. But so I, for people who maybe don't listen regularly, I used to be a news reporter, And I've covered three stories of a person getting sucked into a wood chipper and dying from it. And that sounds like the worst. I don't want to go anywhere near a wood chipper. I'm terrified of wood chippers. 
I mean, I, 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 it's probably quicker than you think once you get to the, one of the vital organs or one, you know. But that oh. moment of sheer terror when you're like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah. Any kind of heavy machinery death. Oh. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. What's your number one? Or I mean, what's your honorable mention? So, uh, kind of staying along the bugs, like I have ants. Like I, I, I have a, I hate ants. I mean. Uh, we had ants in my house a couple summers ago. Like one of the kids left out something on the floor, and it—I mean, I—I—I uh, I, I w- I wouldn't go into that room. Like it just bothered the hell out of me. Okay, okay. I—I uh, I mean, I'm not too worried about them. I can just step on them. <laughs> yeah, you think until there's a thousand of them and they just keep coming. Um, I—I I have water like flooding. Like I know that that's not necessarily irrational, but like every time it rains. I, I think to myself, like, is my basement going to flood today? Because it used to flood every time it sprinkled. Yeah. Okay. That one makes a little bit of sense. Uh, I'm not really worried about flooding. Uh, like eating f- uh, fruit and vegetables from, like, grocery stores. Like, are they covering bugs? Are there bugs inside of them? Like, I could, you know, you see these different Facebook and, and social media videos about bugs, you know, on the surface and things that you can't see. Like, it freaks me out. I'm always worried about biting into something, oh. like a popcorn kernel, and it just cracks your teeth. Like, I'm always worried about that. I'm careful when I eat certain things. That like, oh, we got to be careful. Yeah. You know, I'm. for me, it's like you go to bite into an apple, and there's just like, it's like a rotten core, and there's just shit in there. Like, Ew. I don't want to think. I don't think about that. I'm just saying. Much. It's an ir- irrational fear. Uh, oh. And then ladders. Oh, I think that's worth it, though. Especially yeah. as you get older, you start to get a little bit more scared of ladders. Anytime I have to get on like a ladder, I, I just, I, I, my, my knees shake, my heart starts racing. Yeah, I can, I, I get it. Um, I kind of along those lines. One of mine is jumping. Like I've reached an age where I feel like if I jump off of this thing, my knees might just shatter into pieces. Like my whole bot legs could just crumble and break. Like I'm going to tear. If I jump off this one step, the ACL, MCL, meniscus, femur, like, all of it's just going to crack. It's all just going. It's all gone. All gone. My other one is caves. I don't ever want to be in a cave. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't ever want to be in a cave either. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. If you get a chance, let us know what are some of your biggest irrational fears. Things that you really shouldn't be afraid of, like wood chippers. But you just are. And as always, if you have the time, leave us a rating or a review It really helps us out. Doesn't have to be some big thing. Just a couple of quick words. We really appreciate it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.